We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 576 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, May 19th, 2023. The day after two notable commanders news items. Uh, item number one, they're at the spring league meeting. Will not be a vote by the NFL owners on the sale of the commanders. Uh, the NFL spring league meeting taking place this Monday through Wednesday, May 22nd through the 24th in Minneapolis. Uh, Jeff Miller, he is the NFL's Executive Vice President of Communications, Public Affairs, and Policy. Don't forget the policy. (laughs) He on Thursday in a conference call with reporters said, quote, the league staff and finance committee will continue to review the details of the transaction. We will provide membership with an update in Minnesota End quote. Item number two, the commanders this August will participate in joint practices with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, This is very good news. Joint practices are good. Uh, Washington in recent years has not partaken in joint practices. And coincidence or not, Washington in recent years has not gotten off to good starts to regular seasons. So perhaps these joint practices can help. Uh, the practices will take place on August 15th and 16th at the Ravens Under Armour Performance Center in Owings Mills, Maryland. Uh, and then a few days later, August 21st, the two teams will play a preseason game at FedEx Field. Will any brawls erupt between the Commanders and the Ravens during the team's joint practices? You perhaps remember the fights that erupted between the Redskins and the Houston Texans in a joint practice at Skins Training Camp in Richmond, Virginia in August 2015. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We on this podcast preach peace, not fighting, among many other things that we preach on this podcast. Coming up next segment, a very good guest, Eric Eager, uh, a vice president of Sumer Sports. He worked at Pro Football Focus for years. He is one of the top minds in NFL analytics, and he is going to talk commanders with us, including... Does the opportunity exist for the commanders with an incoming owner in Josh Harris, who is a big analytics guy, to become a leading team in the NFL in analytics and reap the benefits of that? Does the opportunity exist 
for Josh Harris to turn our commanders into a team at the forefront of the analytics revolution, a team that is exploiting market inefficiencies and maximizing player performances and excelling in in-game strategy. I know none of those things seemingly apply to our football team, but what if they all did? Eric's going to get into that, uh, as well as discuss quarterback Sam Howell, uh, quarterback philosophy in the current NFL, uh, whether the commanders have gone too far in devoting resources to the team's defense in this uh, modern, offensive-minded NFL and more. If you want to get smarter, do not miss Eric Eager talking commanders next segment. Uh, Also on the show, the Wizards. Uh, Hey, we finally are getting some movement in their search For a new head of basketball operations, I will take you through the latest and give you my thoughts. Uh, I will talk Nationals, a 5-3 loss for the Nats at the Miami Marlins on Thursday afternoon to complete a three-game sweep. What is it about the Marlins that gives the Nats so much trouble? Do you know that the Nats now are 4-18 against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of the 2022 season? Think about that, 4-18 Uh, And I will talk Orioles, a tough loss for them on Thursday afternoon, a 6-5 loss to the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards for a four-game split. Uh, This was a game in which the O's blew a 5-4 eighth inning lead. This was a game in which three of the biggest stars in Major League Baseball all homered. Uh, O's catcher Adley Rutschman, Angels center fielder Mike Trout, and Angels DH Shohei Otani. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Joe in Silver Spring, Maryland on what has been a big topic this week, a potential name change for the commanders with new ownership coming in. Should the Josh Harris group, will the Josh Harris group engineer yet (laughs) another name change uh, for the team that is currently known as the commanders? Uh, Writes Joe, I think that in addition to doing everything possible to bring back winning football, Josh Harris or should we call him Mr. Harris, (laughs) should absolutely change the name again. Like you, I grew up a Redskins fan and enjoyed their late 80s, early 90s run. I even still have my copies of Tony Kornheiser's bandwagon columns, if you remember those. Uh, But in my opinion, the time had come for the name Redskins to go. I get that a name is a very subjective thing. I happen to think that Commanders is a silly, blah, means-nothing name that I don't get and don't like one bit, but that's not a good enough reason to change the name. No, the single biggest reason for why Josh Harris should rebrand the team is not because Commanders is a bad name. The reason is because the name is Dan Snyder's name. It seems safe to assume that Dan picked the generic unnicknameable commanders, a name that has no connection to team history or to the local area. Dan obviously agreed to change the uniforms, and that basically also changed the team's colors. And in the process, Dan has managed to destroy any remaining emotional bond that fans still had to the Skins brand. You could certainly see how some longtime fans no longer feel like this is their team. Here's a hot take. What if Dan did all of this on purpose. What if he said to himself after he was forced to change the name of having said in all caps that he would never change the name? Well, if I can't have Redskins anymore, then none of you guys can have Redskins either. And then he went about destroying whatever connection to the glory years was left. 
Maybe that's what he needed to do for himself to make it easier for him to agree to sell the team, take his ball, and go home. Or maybe not. Either way, go Durs! <laughs> Thank you for the email, Joe. Yes, go Durs! Uh, and I know some of you are thinking, go away, Durs. Uh, we shall see. That is a fascinating theory. But, you know, it is a theory that gives Dan Snyder a lot of credit uh, because the theory requires Dan being a Machiavellian type who could orchestrate uh, such sabotage. Uh, maybe Dan has that in him. Uh, but to me, the more likely scenario is that the rebrand has been done as it has been done uh, due to organizational incompetence uh, as opposed to Dan masterminding some grand plan. As I have said, uh, I personally do not hate the name Commanders. My biggest problem uh, with the name Commanders is the lack of an obvious uh, one-syllable nickname, as silly as that may sound. Uh, but I absolutely get those of you who do hate Commanders. But if the name isn't Commanders and the team can't or won't go back to Redskins, then what should the name of the team be? There is no obvious home run of a new name. Every potential new name is flawed in some way. Every potential new name will be despised by people to at least some extent. And specific to Commanders being a Dan Snyder name, I understand that sentiment. Trust me, I do. But consider this. Why can't Commanders become a Josh Harris name? Why can't the name Commanders come to be associated with Josh Harris and in a very positive way if things go well with Harris owning the team? How you perceive something and with whom you associate something can change depending on what happens with that something. Uh, this happens with songs. And this is far from a perfect analogy, okay? But Think about the song Baby Shark if you're a Nats fan. The song Baby Shark if you're a Nats fan had been just some kid's song. Then in 2019, the song Baby Shark became this anthem for the Nats as they went on to win the 2019 World Series. Now, maybe you can't stand the song Baby Shark, okay? But the point is, a Nats fan in 2018 associated the song Baby Shark with toddlers a Nats fan since 2019 has associated the song Baby Shark with the 2019 World Series champion Nats, specifically uh, then-Nats outfielder Gerardo Parra. If you're a Nats fan, there's a pretty good chance that your perception of the song Baby Shark and your affection for the song Baby Shark have changed. Uh, something like that could happen with the name Commanders if Things go well with Josh Harris. But of course, that is a big if. And of course, we are a long way from being able to say that things are going well with Josh Harris. And by the way, my two-year-old daughter listens to Baby Shark all of the time. So I'm now back to associating that song with toddlers. But uh, that is another conversation. Email from Rich Poland on something that became a topic on the podcast <laughs> last week. And that something is, who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, of procreation, Robert De Niro or Nick Cannon. It last week was revealed that De Niro, who now is 79, has fathered a seventh child. Uh, he had had six children via previous relationships. Uh, Cannon has uh, 12 kids with six women. Robert De Niro may be the goat of actors, but is he the goat of procreation? Uh, or does that championship belt 
belong to Nick Cannon, who has nearly as many kids as he has jobs. Uh, I give the guy credit. He has done just about everything in entertainment. Anyway, writes Rich, love the discussion about Robert De Niro and Nick Cannon. To me, the champions of having kids at an advanced age are the Tylers. John Tyler Sr. was a roommate of Thomas Jefferson at William & Mary. John Tyler Jr. was born in 1790 and became president in 1841 upon the death of William Henry Harrison. John Tyler Jr.'s youngest son, Lyon, was born in 1853 with Tyler long since out of office. Uh, He was 63. Okay, not as old as De Niro, but Lyon had two sons, Lyon and Harrison, and Lyon had those sons in his 70s. Amazingly, Lyon passed away in 2020 and Harrison is still alive. In other words, the great-grandson of Thomas Jefferson's roommate in college is still a living human being. This would be as if Robert De Niro's great-grandson was alive in like 2250. That is insane. Best wishes, as always, and go Commandos, which is a much better name than Commanders, in my opinion. Uh, Thank you for the email, Rich. Well, the problem with Commandos is that uh, that leads to the obvious joke of going Commando. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, Yeah, I almost feel like we need a separate category for uh, procreators from the 1700s and 1800s, because we had all kinds of things going on back then, okay? I mean, Rich mentioned Thomas Jefferson. Uh, If you know your United States history, you know that Thomas Jefferson famously fathered multiple slave children. Uh, I read to you from the Ronald Reagan Library Education blog, quote, the controversy surrounding the alleged slave children of third president Thomas Jefferson began in 1802 when Jefferson was in office and continued until 1998 when genetic evidence connected the descendants of a slave named Sally Hemings to descendants of the Jefferson line, end quote. So yeah, uh, all kinds of things were going on back in the 1700s and 1800s. Gee, you never know where the conversation on this podcast may go. Uh, But you do know that if you have a case, you should contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Founded in 1979, not quite the 1700s or 1800s, but still uh, quite a while ago, uh, Paulson and Nace has been thriving for years. And Paulson and Nace is thriving for you. Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. And by the way, a big congratulations to Chris Nace, who was just named the 2023 Barry J. Nace Trial Lawyer of the Year. Uh, This by the D.C. Trial Lawyers Association. Paulson and Nace does not accept Low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. 
Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. Make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandace.com. That's paulsonandace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. So we, with the commanders, remain in this odd time in which there is this monumental happening of the sale of the team, but also still normal offseason football stuff. And so the commander's conversation on this podcast for months now has uh, toggled between these two things, the non-football and the football. Uh, interestingly, we next week have a significant non-football happening for the Commanders and a significant football happening for the team. Uh, the NFL's Spring League meeting is scheduled for this Monday through Wednesday, May 22nd through the 24th in Minneapolis. Uh, what's going to happen at this Spring League meeting regarding the sale of the Commanders is hard to say, but at the very least, there at the Spring League meeting figures to be discussion about the sale of our team. But also next week is the Commander's first batch of OTA practices this offseason. This coming Tuesday through Thursday, May 23rd through the 25th, uh, is that first batch of the team's OTA practices this offseason. And so right now, let us take a break from the sale and the non-football stuff and talk some actual Commander's football with one of the best high-level NFL minds out there. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Eric Eager, a vice president of Sumer Sports, which is a quantitative analysis company aimed at creating precision in player acquisition and roster management in the NFL. Uh, Eric is the host of a podcast, the Sumer Sports Show with Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov, uh, the former Atlanta Falcons general manager. Uh, Eric worked for Pro Football Focus for years. You can follow Eric on Twitter at Eric Eager underscore and Eager is spelled E-A-G-E-R. Hey, Eric, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, off season's been kind of fun, and and uh, it, it finally, I think, is coming to a conclusion. Maybe then we can sort of enjoy some time off. But uh, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind. Yes, uh, although as you know, uh, the NFL never truly rests. Uh, there's always something. Uh, before we get to the Commanders, Sumer Sports, uh, tell us about it. What's the idea behind Sumer Sports? Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah. Paul Tudor Jones and his son Jack um, are, you know, Paul's a, a famous kind of macro trader, kind of made a lot of his money uh, in the late 80s with the, the the crash of 87 and, you know, has kind of built a, a, a an empire there, um, very interested in football. So they wanted to start a company to help teams optimize rosters. Um, the, the first person that they hired was Thomas Dimitrov, the former general manager of the Falcons, somebody who I had known quite well because... I did a lot of work for the Falcons when I was at PFF. So, you know, for, for a few years there after Thomas had been let go by Atlanta, I, um, I, I, you know, he and I met regularly trying to build a product at PFF that was sort of what a GM would use if they were, uh, you know, inclined to use analytics. Because PFF was mostly for analytics people, for coaches, that kind of thing. And so we wanted to make a tool for the front office. And then eventually, uh, you know, Paul and his son Jack had the idea to do just that. So, uh, we decided to join with them. 
Um, and you know, now we're, we're building, you know, roster optimization tools. We had two pilot clubs, uh, we, you know, uh, work on the, you know, the draft with our draft dashboard. We have some scenario building tools and I think hopefully, um, you know, our forward facing stuff will start to, uh, emerge here relatively quick with things, you know, for fantasy football players, for just players who, who love, you know, football and want to, you know, simulate free agency and simulate the, the cut down days and stuff like that. So. We're kind of trying to do it all, and uh, I, I'm really enjoying the the time we're having. When it comes to analytics in the NFL and NFL teams applying what you do to what they do, what are NFL teams most in need of? What from Sumer Sports can NFL teams most use? I think it's all the above, right? So there are some teams, like most teams only have about one to three analysts working for them. And so there's no way they can do everything because, you know, football analytics is, you know, you have to be able to build numerical player evaluations. You have to build college to pro projections based upon uh, features that a player has at the collegiate ranks. You need to do in-game decision-making. And a lot of analytics is focused on that fourth downs, timeouts, uh, you know, how, how to deal with the clock and that kind of thing. And then, then there's, you know, coaching. How do you hire coaches, uh, to, to maximize the roster? How do you, you elevate schemes? And so, um, you know, that takes an army of people. We have about 10 to 15 data scientists that are working on those very things. And, And then you have to put it all together. And that, that's the process of optimization that we're working on as well. So you can have the best player evaluations. You can have the best, coaching evaluations you can have the best scheme understanding of scheme but to sort of put it all together is a multi-dimensional problem that a lot of you know decision makers struggle with and you know or, and and then the other thing is you know how do you you know and commanders fans might feel this in their in their in their hearts a little bit but like how do you how do you you know deal with one season uh where you're maybe you're you're maybe going for eight or nine wins, and, and the next season you're going for eleven or twelve. How do you optimize for a time horizon like that versus a team like the Los Angeles Rams, where you're trying to win the Super Bowl and then tear it down a little, you know, a little bit after that? So there, there's a, there's time horizons. There's just you know putting the pieces together, and then and and it's just a big problem from a from a. Um, manpower standpoint and it's you know it's one that we're trying to tackle but no nfl team uh, save maybe one or two has really put the resources to it okay so speaking of that uh the commander's incoming lead owner josh harris uh he is known to be big into analytics he certainly has demonstrated being a champion of analytics uh, with his hirings as managing partner of the philadelphia 76ers uh, and as managing partner of the new jersey devils the nfl is widely believed to be behind mlb the nba and the nhl in terms of teams using analytics and so my question is this With Josh Harris coming in as lead owner of the Commanders and with him being a proponent of analytics, is there an opportunity here for the Commanders to establish a significant competitive advantage in going in on analytics big time, given that so many other NFL teams are not doing that? Yeah, I think yeah, we're firmly behind baseball and basketball. I think hockey is is you know has its own has a ways to go as well. Um, On a scale of one to a hundred, we're probably at fifteen. Um, and that's maybe generous. And, and, and I think we're in that position, we're in that space now where there's been a little bit of pushback. I think that there are, there are, you know, teams, you know, like Detroit, for example, who, you know, not only took a running back and a linebacker in the first round, but did so proudly uh, and, and, 
And I think that, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a pushback at this idea of positional value and some of the, you know, the real, the real progress. I mean, look, five years ago, there were zero teams in the NFL six, six years ago. I, I say that I, I did this analysis two years ago. So I always, but like six or seven years ago, there were zero teams, in the NFL that went for fourth down more than half the time they should have, you know, and now that number is well over half the team. So you're, you're seeing evolution there. You look at, you know, where running backs, linebackers, tight ends, you know, the, the, the draft picks and salaries there. You've seen, you know, in the case of running back, a real, you know, a real evolution towards what the analytics say. And for other positions, a little bit less so. So you're, you're seeing some progress. I think you're actually in kind of the, the blowback situation here where a team like the Rams wins the Super Bowl by not going for fourth down a ton not really, you know, valuing draft picks the way that we would. And and there's some people saying, oh, maybe we're reevaluating that. So I think we're in the kind of a pullback period, which will make analytics that much more valuable when, you know, the teams that lean into it uh, just, you know, truly do. Wow. So it does sound like there's a real opportunity for the commanders under Josh Harris to gain a significant competitive advantage in going in on analytics big time. Uh, of course, all of the analytics in the world won't meet a ton if the team does it get better quarterback play? Uh, so the team is positioning Sam Howell to be at starting quarterback for this coming season. Uh, he's not being handed the job. Uh, head coach Ron Rivera has said that Sam will have to compete with Jacoby Brissett for the job, but clearly the idea is for Sam to be the team's QB1. Uh, he, of course, was taken in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. From your perspective, when you look at what the commanders are doing at quarterback, do you say to yourself, what the heck are they thinking? Uh, or do you say to yourself, you know, I actually can see what the team is doing here. Well, it's unprecedented, right? I mean, I, I went back and looked since this new CBA, which I think you have to judge all decisions based, you know, post that. The only guy that was drafted as late as Howell, who has as little experience, who is going to start open, like, let's say he starts opening day is going to start opening day was Trevor Simeon for the Denver Broncos. And, you know, that was post-Super Bowl. Manning had retired. Um, that was a pretty good team. Uh, they went 9-7 and seven that year. And he beat out Mark Sanchez and Paxton Lynch. Like, there's no such, like, uh, you know, Jacoby Brissett's a guy. Maybe you can consider him kind of Mark Sanchez-like in that way. But there's no first-round pick that, you know, they hope kind of, like, beats, beats him out type of thing the way that the Broncos had. You know, Everyone else, like Desmond Ritter's kind of in a similar spot. We got to see Ritter play four games. Jalen Hurts in 2021 was the same. We got to see Jalen Hurts play four games in 2020. So it's a it's kind of an unusual and unprecedented thing. Now, I I think you know you look at Mayhew. Mayhew's in year five, you know, year four. You know, uh, Rivera's in year five. Be enemies in year one. I think that the thing with be enemy maybe that that you're seeing possibly here is. He really is considered maybe the heir apparent to Rivera, and they're like, "Look, you have a lot to prove here. In Kansas City, you got you 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 were a running backs coach, and then you were a offensive coordinator who didn't call plays. You know how much of it was Patrick Mahomes? How much of it was Andy Reid? If you could do something special here with Sam Howell, now we'll believe in you. Maybe there's a little bit of that in there, um, but yeah, it truly is. You know, it truly is strange, and I think that the only kind of explanation is a you know, they're, they're letting things bleed out a little bit. They don't want to commit to a quarterback that ownership isn't going to end up being kind of crazy about in a year and be like, maybe it's, it's a testing ground for the enemy. If he, if he sh truly should be the next head coach of the, the commanders. 
We're talking commanders with Eric Eager, a vice president of Sumer Sports. The data is clear. Uh, So few non-first-round quarterbacks become good NFL quarterbacks. And yet, we right now in the NFC have a good number of non-first-round quarterbacks doing well to varying degrees. Uh, The Philadelphia Eagles' Jalen Hurts. The San Francisco 49ers, Brock Purdy, the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, uh, the Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, who of course was drafted uh, by the Redskins. Now, there's context with all of these guys, and you certainly could argue that these guys are all outliers, but is what's happening in the NFC right now any reason to reconsider this idea that finding a quality QB1 in a non-first round of an NFL draft uh, is a non-starter? Well, I think there are outliers that have depended upon a weird sort of phase regime shift in the NFL, right? So you look at the AFC, and you know the AFC has Mahomes. You go down the list: Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Watson, Lawrence, <laughs> uh, Aaron Rodgers, Justin Herbert. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson's not a first round pick, but he's you know considered you know he he was you know, valued essentially as a as a franchise quarterback last year. You go down the list, and you know. Rodgers goes from NFC to AFC. Uh, Wilson goes from NFC to AFC. Watson Watson stays in the AFC. And there's just been like a clump there. Like if you're in the AFC, you can't like I understand what the Colts do. You can't compete in that conference without kind of a guy with a huge upside because it, it's just not you know it, it's just not um, feasible. Now in the NFC, you you at one point had Stafford healthy, you know Brady, Rodgers, uh, you know guys like that, all kind of all kind of clustered together, Murray and Murray's injured right now. So I think no one really is thinking about him. And, and so I think it's just kind of this weird transient phase in the NFL where there have been some non elite quarterbacks that have gotten, you know, that have gotten uh, some stay here. Um, But it is funny. And I do think like, when you look at the Falcons, you look at the commanders, now the commanders have a much harder schedule than the Falcons do. I understand what the Falcons are doing from a, Oh, we can win with Ritter, and if we don't, then he clearly isn't worth it. Um, whereas with Washington, it's like the, the schedule isn't easy for them the way it was last year. I, I think that they're. I think it, it, it. I don't know if they're reevaluating it so much as they're saying this is our best option for now. Um, beyond you know doing anything that another like there's there wasn't anything they could have done that a new owner would come in and say, oh yeah, you had to do that. So they're just doing sort of a, a few things like Brissett and and Howell that makes sense in the interim. Of course, the goal for every NFL team should be to have a great starting quarterback. But of course, finding great starting quarterbacks is hard. Uh, The notion of just going with a starting quarterback who's decent and building up the team around them and trying to win that way, is that a valid way for a team to go? Well, yeah, it is. Because, you know, you look at, and I, you look at the the Super Bowl since the new CBA, so 2012 to to now. There's only been one Super Bowl where a team around a quarterback on a rookie deal. So last year was the Eagles. Uh, year before was the Bengals. Now some of those quarterbacks end up being elite, but I think some of those quarterbacks like Jared Goff or Carson Wentz or guys like that look look elite because they're making so little money that the team around them can make them look good. And you know it and and. With Ritter and and um, you know obviously Prescott when he was when he was making hardly any money Washington when Kirk was making hardly any money like the the hardest question in sports is obviously is that guy worth the fifty two million that a guy like you know Lamar got um, but while they're they're cheap like you can certainly build around them. 
Another philosophical roster question that applies to the Commanders. The team now has spent a first-round pick on a defensive player in six of the last seven NFL drafts and now has two mega-money interior defensive linemen in Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. In today's offensive-minded NFL, is spending major draft capital and a lot of salary cap space on defense an antiquated way of operating? Uh, it's an antiquated way to th- of thinking on average, for sure, just because it, it's just so hard. I think it's when you want to win, if you want to win a Super Bowl, you, you're probably going to have to win four playoff games. And it's just really hard to play four straight really good games defensively. It's much easier for a great quarterback to play three or four straight games well. And even, you even saw a little bit of a crack in the armor with the Chiefs, or they have a great quarterback, but he got injured during that time. And they had to kind of really cobble it together uh, for a couple of games. But it's just like defense is so much more volatile and it's so much more dependent upon who you play that the path to winning, I mean, it's so much different than it was when the Ravens ran the table or the Bucks. I mean, that, that 2002 Bucks team gave up something like 14 touchdowns and 36 interceptions or something like that. Like you're just not going to see that anymore. And so you're, you're just not going to get this like, string of dominance uh that that you would get you know especially against the offenses now because in the playoffs you know there's so many more good quarterbacks you you think about like who who the ravens had to beat that 2000 uh playoff stretches like guys like mark brunel and 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 you know it's just and those are good quarterbacks but not great ones like if you want to win in the playoffs you know like let's say in the afc with the with with defense you got to beat josh allen joe burrow patrick mahomes justin herbert guys like that and like I can I can see a great defense stymieing one of them, a la you know the Seattle Seahawks against the the Denver Broncos in 2013, but not all of them. I mean, it, it, it's just really hard. Now in the NFC, you can see it a little bit um, with with some of the quarterbacks, but even then, like the quarterbacks that made the playoffs in the NFC, your Dak Prescott is a pretty good player, not an elite player, but a pretty good player. Kirk Cousins, same thing. Hurts uh, is you know paid like an elite player, and, and so even on like the very extreme. Like, I think it's more likely you can win with defense in the NFC, but it's still unlikely. Last one for you. I really liked a piece that you wrote for SumerSports.com that was published on April 25th. Headline, quote, NFL Draft Proverbs, end quote. Uh, I wanted to get you to expound on this uh, proverb, quote, there is really no such thing as a steal, but there is empirical support for the existence of reaches, end quote. Uh, What exactly did you mean by that? Yeah, it's just, you know, generally speaking, like the consensus board is pretty accurate. So if you take all the mock drafts that have ever happened and you put them together, it does a pretty good job of not only predicting where players are going to be picked, but how they perform at the NFL level. So, you know, there isn't really like this secret sauce where teams draft any better than any other people. Um, After you adjust for pick, obviously, if you're picking first every year, you're going to have a better chance than if you're picking 32nd every year. So. So that's like kind of like the baseline assumption that I work under. And then the question is, is, okay, if a guy goes way before he's projected by the consensus board, well, it only took one team to make that decision. So I'm going to be much less um, believing in the market when the market gives rise to a result like that. Whereas if a guy falls, so like if N'Kobe Dean last year for the Eagles fell all the way to round three, Every single team but maybe one. I don't can't remember if he fell beneath the Rams or not. But every team but one basically had to make a decision that he wasn't good enough. And so once you start you know, sort of adding that up, that does create an efficient market, if, if, as it were. So 
it's really about the market. Like the more teams that make a decision on the player, the more the, the market sort of crystallizes and the more that I believe in the market. Whereas with a reach, there's really only one team that has to make that decision. And, and we, we know in, in markets that there's always like that, that individual that stands alone, whether or not they're right or wrong is almost always a, a, a product of chance. That's really interesting. I love stuff like that. Eric Eager, a vice president of Sumer Sports. Uh, Eric, thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. Hey, thanks for having me on, Al. Hey, Eric Eager, very smart NFL mind. Also smart is subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. Uh, all three of those things cost you nothing and help to make this podcast a success. Uh, just a tap the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Can't be more, but doesn't have to be. Uh, but thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So this episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Friday, May 19th. Uh, it was one month ago, April 19th, that the Wizards announced that uh, Tommy Shepard would uh, no longer be shepherding uh, the Wizards. Uh, the Wizards announced that Tommy Shepard had been, quote, released as president and general manager of the Washington Wizards, end quote. And the Wizards still have not hired Tommy Shepard's replacement. Now, that in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I have wondered if the Wizards search for Shepard's replacement is taking some time here because the team is waiting on other team seasons to end so that the Wizards can talk to people from those teams. Uh, the number one story in the NBA front office world is this Bob Myers situation. Uh, Golden State Warriors president of basketball operations and general manager Bob Myers, his contract reportedly expires on June 30th. Uh, the Athletic on Wednesday reported that the Warriors and Myers, quote, have had no substantial 
contract extension talks in months, and the sides are bracing for the likelihood that Myers could walk away from the franchise, end quote. Uh, I would love for the Wizards to hire Bob Myers to run their basketball operations, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, We do, though, now at least have the names of some people who the Wizards have interviewed. Uh, ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski, he late night on Wednesday night reported that the Wizards, for their head of basketball operations vacancy, have interviewed Los Angeles Clippers general manager Michael Winger. And Woj confirmed that the Wizards, for their head of basketball operations vacancy, have interviewed New Orleans Pelicans general manager Trajan Langdon. Uh, The Athletic on Tuesday night reported that the Wizards had interviewed Langdon. So Michael Winger, uh, he has been the Clippers GM since July 2017. He, prior to that, was Oklahoma City Thunder assistant general manager and part of the Thunder's legal and administration departments uh, from July 2010 to July 2017, and he prior to that was the Cleveland Cavaliers Director of Basketball Operations and Team Council from July 2005 to July 2010. So Michael Winger has worked under some accomplished NBA executives, uh, David Griffin with the Pelicans, Sam Presti with the Thunder, and Danny Ferry with the Cavs. Uh, Winger is pseudo-local. He went to the University of Maryland Francis King Carey School of Law in Baltimore. And then Trajan Langdon, uh, a name that you probably recognize. Uh, Trajan Langdon was a star basketball player at Duke in the late 1990s, was taken by the Cleveland Cavaliers with the number 11 overall pick in the 1999 NBA draft, which was held at what was then known as MCI Center in Washington, D.C., and what today is, of course, Capital One Arena. Uh, the Pelicans hired Langdon as their GM on May 19th, 2019. So four years ago to the day of this episode of the podcast, uh, Langdon had been the assistant general manager for the Brooklyn Nets since March 2016. And Langdon joined the Nets after having served as the director of player administration and basketball operations for the Cleveland Cavaliers since September 2015. He is a native of Anchorage, Alaska. Look, it's hard for us to know whether Michael Winger would be better than Trajan Langdon or vice versa. What I know is this. I want the Wizards for their head of basketball operations job to hire someone who A, is really smart, B, is forward-thinking, C, is especially good at the NBA draft, and D, and this is maybe most key, is fully empowered by owner Ted Leonsis to do as the head of basketball operations wants to do. I do not want some puppet yes man for Ted. I want someone who is given full power, full control over Wizards basketball operations. You can't say that Tommy Shepard did a great job running Wizards basketball operations, but you also can't say that Tommy for sure did everything that he wanted to do and never did anything that he was made to do by Ted. Uh, I want a smart, forward-thinking, good-at-drafting, autonomous head of basketball operations for our Wizards. Is that too much to ask? Is that too much of a pie-in-the-sky notion? Uh, It should not be. The Wizards have been irrelevant in the larger NBA picture for decades and are becoming increasingly irrelevant in Washington, D.C. sports. Uh, The Bullets' last Wizards have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979. The team has not had a 50-win regular season since the 1978 
1979 season. I am so sick of those things being true. And I hope like heck that whoever the Wizards ultimately hire to run their basketball operations makes those things no longer true. Well, we're now inside of a month until Father's Day, uh, which is on June 18th. But unfortunately, the Nationals, daddies, or the Miami Marlins. Uh, the, the, the Nats on Thursday afternoon lost at the Marlins 5-3 to conclude a three-game sweep and to fall to an absurd, you ready for this, 4-18 and against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of the 2022 season. Four and 18. As our friend Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, Who is your daddy and what does he do? Yeah, unfortunately right now, the answer to that question for the Nats is the Marlins. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it's not like the Marlins have been some great team the last few seasons. Uh, I get that the Nats are a rebuilding team, but the Marlins certainly have not been a great team. And yet, uh, the Nats have just gotten wrecked by the Marlins. 4-18 and 18 Nats against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of the 2022 season. Well, the Nats now for this 2023 regular season overall are 18-26. and 26. Not a good offensive series for the Nats. They, over the three games, totaled just 10 runs. So the Nats on Thursday afternoon had just eight hits and just two walks. Uh, three of the eight hits were extra base hits, including two extra base hits by Jamer Candelario. Boy, has he caught fire over the Nats' last four games. Candelario on Thursday afternoon as the Nats' starting third baseman and number three batter, two for four with a solo homer and a double. Uh, he did commit a one-out throwing error in a Marlins one-run eighth, but Candelario in the Nats' one-run fourth, a leadoff homer on a bomb to right center field to cut the Nats' deficit to 2-1. The homer winner projected 443 feet per stat cast. And Candelario in an Nats two-run eighth, a one-out RBI double to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 4-2. Candelario is on a roll. A 4-3 loss at the Marlins on Wednesday evening. He is an Nats starting third baseman and number five batter, three for four with a double and two singles. Candelario in the 5-4 walk-off loss at the Marlins on Tuesday evening as an Nats starting third baseman and number four batter got on base four times. Uh, he went three for three with a double, an RBI single, another single, and a walk. And Candelario in the 10-3 win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park this past Monday as an Nats starting third baseman and number six batter, two for four with a triple and a single. Now, he did also commit a throwing error, but still, uh, Jamer Candelario, so much better lately of uh, having really struggled this season. Uh, the Nats' other run scoring hit on Thursday afternoon came from Corey Dickerson. Uh, he is the Nats' starting DH and number four batter, one for four with an RBI single. Uh, Dickerson in that Nats two-run eighth, a one-out opposite field RBI infield single toward third base to cut the Nats' deficit to 4-3. As, yes, Corey Dickerson was the Nats' cleanup batter. Uh, this was just his second game back from a left calf strain, which had him on the 10-day injured list from April 2nd until this past Monday, May 15th. Uh, Nats manager Davey Martinez did not waste any time moving Dickerson up in the lineup, uh, he on Wednesday evening as an ad starting DH and number six batter, two for four with a mammoth solo homer and a single. Uh, yeah, Davey Martinez on Thursday afternoon had a new look lineup. He flip-flopped right fielder Lane Thomas and second baseman Luis Garcia. Thomas went 
from the usual number one batter to batting in the two spot. Garcia went from the usual number two batter to batting in the one spot. Uh, each guy went one for four with a single. Uh, also, Jake Alou got the start in left field. Uh, he had a multi-hit game. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday put first baseman slash DH Joey Manessis on the paternity list and recalled infielder slash outfielder Jake Alou from AAA Rochester. This off the Nats on Monday, having optioned Alou back to Rochester, and that was off the Nats the previous Monday, Bay 8th, having recalled Alou from Rochester. A busy last few weeks for Jake Alou, but he on Thursday afternoon as an at starting left fielder and number seven batter went two for four with two two out singles. Uh, another change to the lineup was uh, the struggling Alex Cole being dropped all the way to the number nine spot. Uh, he is an at starting center fielder, went uh, 0 for three. A uh, brutal series for C.J. Abrams. Uh, he was an ad starting shortstop in all three games in the series, was the number nine batter in each of the first two games, was the number eight batter in game three. Abrams, over these three games, a combined 0 for 11 with eight strikeouts. Uh, Davey Martinez, during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday afternoon, was adamant about the Nats having to stop chasing pitches out of strike zones. Uh, this was Davey on C.J. Abrams. Chase, chase, chase. Uh, when he gets the, when he got the ball, um, when he got the ball where he could hit, you know, just had a little bit of an upswing, you know. But and that's caused by just being young and having some success, you know, hitting some home runs. Um, we got to get him back, you know, you know, above the baseball and through the baseball. There you go, chase, chase, chase. Uh, also, rough series for Capet Ruiz. He was an at starting catcher in all three games in the series. He was an at number five batter in games one and three. Uh, he was the team's number three batter in game two. He over the three games when a combined 0 for 11 with a walk. So C.J. Abrams and Capet Ruiz over these three games at the Marlins, a combined 0 for 22 with a walk. Uh, Trevor Williams, he was an at starting pitcher for this uh, 5-3 loss at the Marlins on Thursday afternoon. He was solid. Uh, three runs in six innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He issued a hit by pitch, but he also had five strikeouts versus one walk, and he threw a lot of strikes. I see over 94 pitches through 60 strikes versus 34 balls. So Williams in the bottom of the second allowed a run on a one-out opposite field solo homer by Brian De La Cruz to right center field on a 1-2 pitch for a one nothing Marlins lead. Uh, Williams in the bottom of the third allowed a run on a one-out opposite field double by Xavier Edwards on a weekly hit grounder down the third baseline, followed by a one-out first pitch opposite field RBI single by Gene Segura to right field for a 2 nothing Marlins lead. Uh, that Edwards double was a total fluke double, but it was a double. Uh, Williams gave up that run and then actually issued a walk, a one-out walk of Garrett Cooper and uh, Williams in the bottom of the fourth, a lot of run on two singles and a hit by pitch. Uh, Trevor Williams has been fine. Not great, uh, but not bad. The Nats this past December 10th officially announced having agreed with Trevor Williams on a two-year free agent contract. The deal is a two-year, $13 million contract. Uh, this is his age 31 season. He, in this 2023 regular season, has made nine starts, has an ERA of 426, has a whip of 126, which actually is better than the whips of both of the Nats' best starting pitchers so far this season. If you could believe that, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. Uh, the Nats' bullpen on Thursday afternoon was not good enough. Uh, two Nats relievers combined to allow two runs, one earned in two innings. Uh, Mason Thompson, another shaky outing. Uh, he in the bottom of the seventh 
allowed a run on a leadoff single by Nick Fortes up the middle and a two-out RBI single by Garrett Cooper to center field on an 0-2 pitch for a 4-1 Marlins lead. Uh, Mason Thompson had been so good for the Nats this season, but he now, over his last seven games, has allowed 10 runs in four and two-thirds innings. Uh, He has talked about his uh, issue primarily being mechanical. Uh, Okay, but got to get that fixed, man. I mean, these last seven games have been rough. Again, 10 runs in four and two-thirds innings. And Erasmo Ramirez on Thursday afternoon, he in the bottom of the eighth allowed an unearned run out of one-out throwing error by third baseman Jamer Candelario and then back-to-back two-out singles for a 5-3 Marlins lead. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers at Nationals Park. Game one Friday night at 7.05. Jake Irvin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three Sunday afternoon at 1.35. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Orioles now are 13 games into a stretch of 22 consecutive games against teams that, at the start of the stretch, all had winning records for this 2023 regular season. Uh, the O's over these 13 games are 7-6. and six. This is a tough stretch. Uh, the O's are competing. They are fighting. But uh, this stretch is not easy. And that reality was highlighted on Thursday afternoon, a 6-5 loss to the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in a game in which the O's blew a 5-4 eighth inning lead. Uh, the O's ended up splitting this four-game series against the Angels, so the O's now are 28-16, second-best record in the American League. The Orioles' bullpen, it overall has been great this season. Uh, the bullpen over the first three games of this series was very good, but the bullpen on Thursday afternoon did struggle. Uh, five Orioles relievers combined to allow three runs in four innings. Mike Bauman in the top of the six allowed a run on two singles and a walk, and Brian Baker, Austin Voth, and Danny Coulomb in the top of the eighth combined to allow two runs, although Coulomb officially tossed one and a third scoreless innings with four strikeouts. It's not like these relievers got shellacked, but uh, they were not good enough, and a lot is being asked of these guys. Uh, Orioles pitchers in this 2023 regular season have totaled 394 innings. 165 and two-thirds of those innings have been relief innings. 42% of the innings accumulated by Orioles pitchers have been relief innings. Now, that is how Major League Baseball works these days, but that doesn't change the fact that a uh, rather heavy onus has been on this Orioles bullpen. Uh, The Orioles starting pitcher on Thursday afternoon uh, was the man who has been their best starting pitcher so far this season, Tyler Wells. Uh, He was so-so. Wells allowed three runs in five innings. He gave up six hits, uh, home runs by Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, and four singles. Uh, Wells did have seven strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 95 pitches, 59 strikes versus 36 balls. Uh, Wells for this regular season does remain number one among all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip 0.79. Uh, here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Thursday afternoon on Tyler Wells. Yeah, no, he battled without his best stuff. Um, you know, it's gives up a couple homers. That's about it, but really grinded throughout. You know, kind of was behind in the count a lot. Didn't really have his it wasn't as sharp as he was his last few outings. Um, but five innings, three runs against a really good offense. Only a couple of homers there. 
you know, kept us in the game with and really competed. Yes, he did. Uh, as did Orioles hitters. I tell you, the O's in this series generated a good number of extra base hits. Uh, the O's on Thursday afternoon at 10 hits and four walks. Four of the 10 hits were extra base hits. Uh, Adley Rutschman, he is the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, went one for three with a two-run homer and two walks. Uh, Rutschman and an Orioles two-run seventh, a one-out two-run homer for a 5-4 Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 424 feet per stat cast. Uh, Austin Hayes, he is the Orioles starting left fielder and number one batter, three for four with a double and two singles. Uh, Rutschman and Hayes are the top two qualified players on the O's in OPS for this regular season. Rutschman is at 869. Hayes is at 859. And Anthony Santander is number four at 804. Uh, He is the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter. One for three with a two-run homer and a walk. Santander in an Orioles three-run fifth. A two-out, two-run homer to left field over the Great Wall of Baltimore uh, to tie the game at three. The homer winner projected 418 feet per stat cast. What a month of May Santander is having. Anthony Santander now for this month of May has an on-base percentage of 406 and a slugging percentage of 645. Next up for the O's, a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Game one Friday night at 7.07. Kyle Gibson will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two Saturday afternoon at 3.07. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game three Sunday afternoon at 1.37. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher and he will oppose a former Oriole Kevin Gosman and know this the O's and the Blue Jays of the top two teams in the American League wildcard standings. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 577. We'll have a lot for you on the commanders. Also, we'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Nationals this weekend have a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers at Nationals Park. The Orioles this weekend have a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Who is your daddy and what does he do?